Amen. What an amazing truth. God with us, right? We're going to see that from the text today as we kick off our Christmas series from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. We're going to be there for the next four or five weeks, and so we're just going to hunker down in this beautiful passage and dig into God's truth. And so if you, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we'd love for you to have one. Get one from the back. If you want to turn there now, get a head start. Uh, our, uh, we're excited to see what God is going to do. Uh, thank you. It's, what a beautiful morning of worship. Amen. Isn't it awesome that we can just strip it down sometimes and just sort of sit in the presence of the Lord? And we're excited for that. And we're excited for all that God is doing. Thank you for your, your faithfulness in every way. And um, I hope you and your family had a great Thanksgiving. You guys had some good Thanksgiving? Yeah. yeah, awesome. And anybody excited for Christmas? Awesome. Now, I don't know where you fall in the camp of decorating your house before Christmas, I mean, before Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving. Our house was very divided. Um, and so, but we're uh, excited to see the church decorated for Christmas. Thank you so much for all of you that have had a hand in that as God continues to work. And um, I don't know where you live, whether it's in a condo, whether it's a townhouse or a neighborhood, but all of us, no matter near how far, have neighbors, right? To the left of us, in front of us, and back of us. And, and in our neighborhood, we have some friends that are in the Air Force. And thank you so much for all the, of you that served that were here for the last seven or eight years, but then got, got really, they got sent to Hawaii, which is, I know is really difficult. Um, but their house across the street has been dormant for about seven or eight months now, and they've been trying to sell it and hasn't quite sold yet. And Ann and I keep wondering, who is going to be our new neighbor, right? Are they going to have kids the same age as our kids? Are they going to have hobbies similar to our hobbies? Can we watch the game together? Can we go hang out together? Or can we, when can we get to meet them and invite them to church and, and all of those things? And I don't know about you, but I've had good neighboring experiences and bad neighboring experiences. Anybody? And I think we can all share some stories after church, right, about that. Um, but, it, but neighbors make a big difference in our lives in a lot of ways, and, and they have a huge impact on our lives. And you are a neighbor to other people, just like other people are neighbors to you. And as a neighbor, you have an opportunity to, inc- to impact other people's lives in a significant way. As we launch our Christmas series, we are entitling it Christmas in the Neighborhood. And you might be going, Pastor Dan, where did you get that sermon series from? Well, uh, when I was reading and meditating on, on John 1 in, one of my, in my personal time with the Lord a few months ago, and, and I like to, we, we preach and teach out of the ESV version here. I know different ones of you have different versions, and that's great. I we read a wide variety of different versions of Scripture just to sort of help expand just the impact of it at different times. And one of the versions I was reading when I read this verse, uh, John chapter 1, verses, verse 14, it stopped me in my tracks in its translation. And it said this, it's actually from the message. And again, we don't preach from the message, but I do read the message as a, just a personal, just time to understand the scripture in a different and unique way. So Eugene Peterson, who helped translate the message, he said this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like of the father, the son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And God gripped my heart with the phrase, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And so that's our heart for this Christmas series and season is that the Jesus, the gospel, would not just move into this sanctuary, but would move into the neighborhoods in which you live. Because by the way, you have been sent as an ambassador for God to be a witness to about God to those that are all around you. 
The story of Christmas is Jesus, God, the Son of God becoming flesh to move into your neighborhood and mine to ultimately, hopefully, move into our hearts. He moves into the vacant house across the street, the vacant condo above you. The vacant townhouse is three doors down so that he can interact with you and demonstrate the character of God and the love of God, the peace of God that can only be found in and through Jesus. Now, our world is hurting, and there are people in your neighborhood that are hurting, aren't there? In a big way, and I'm guessing that there are people watching online or in this room that are hurting with illnesses in the family or sicknesses, with financial uncertainty, with your future up in the air, with transitions you do or do not want, with hurts from your past and pain in your present. The story of Christmas is the invasion of hope into a world that is hurting. It's the invasion of light into a world that is dark. It's God sending his son Jesus into our mess so that we can experience his mercy and experience salvation in and through his son, Jesus Christ. The story of Christmas brings hope to the neighborhoods and to the nations, to you and to me. And our prayer is that this Christmas season, it will bring salvation and encouragement, not just to hearts of those in this room, but to those who are around us in our neighborhoods and into the nations as we live as ambassadors for God. Christmas is literally the story of God breaking through for you and me, isn't it? I don't know where you need breakthrough today. I just know we all need it. And to experience breakthrough, we first have to admit our need for it. Maybe it's in a hurting relationship. Maybe it's just in a financial area. Maybe it's in a sickness or an illness. Maybe it's a search for peace or a wrestling with anxiety, a heaviness, a depression, grief from your past or your present. I don't know, but I know that Jesus is here to bring hope for you and healing for you because he breaks through for you. The big idea for this morning you'll see it on the screen as this and in your notes, is the incarnation ignites community transformation. The incarnation, God becoming flesh, Jesus, the son of God, becoming fully man while maintaining his deity is what changes the neighborhood. Amen. And it starts in you and me as we're going to dig into this today. Let's let's pray and let's dig in. Father, I thank you so much for the reality that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. You did not withhold the greatest gift ever. You did not withhold your own flesh and blood. You gave it all so that we could experience it all. Hope, joy, peace, goodness, light. God, we come to you hurting. We come to you grieving. We come to you wondering and wandering this Christmas season. And God, I just pray that you would meet us. And God, I thank you that you will because you promised that you will. And God, I pray that beginning today that you would change us, that you would transform us. And that you would send us, God, to be the hope of the gospel, the representative, the ambassador to those that are around us that need that same hope and love. Father, open our hearts, open our hands, open our minds, silence the distractions, and may your spirit flow right now, God. Jesus, we need you and we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 1. I would really encourage you, maybe between now and Christmas, maybe a commitment that you can make, you and your spouse can make, you and your kids can make, get your families involved. Maybe read John 1 through 18 daily. 
and meditate on it. Maybe you haven't done devotions in a while. Let's start right here. Walk with us over the next 30 or so days between now and Christmas and get your Amazon shopping done, right? But just park yourself in these 18 verses and ask the Holy Spirit to speak. We're just going to read the verse 14 today. Over the next four or five weeks, we're going to look at different chunks of this section. This is John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, one of the amazing things about this book, the book of John, and if you aren't familiar with the Bible, this is a great place to start to read through the book, is that John, who is the apostle John, who wrote the book, the disciple, the beloved disciple of Jesus, he actually gives us a thesis statement for why he wrote the book, which is super helpful then to interpret all the other aspects of this gospel through this lens. And we love God's word. We love going verse by verse, book by book. So John in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says this, here's the theme thesis verse. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. By you, John means you. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. I don't know how you walked in here, how much hurt or helplessness you are feeling, but this text is declaring the reality that you can walk out of here experiencing the abundant life through believing in Jesus' name, amen? That is life, no matter how much money you do or do not have in the bank account. What happened to you four or five years ago? What your relationship status says on social media? That is not life. Life is found ultimately in and through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 14, the word here is Jesus. We're going to look a lot more at that next week as we look at verses 1 through 5 next week. But when you see the word became flesh, John is talking about Jesus. He means that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He continues in verse 14 that says he's full of grace and truth, that Jesus, again, more on this next week, lacks nothing. That when you see and experience Jesus, the Son of God, you are experiencing the full character of God the Father. All the grace and the truth, as this text says in verse 14 right here. All the mercy, all the love. Pastor Mark Dever, who pastors in DC, Washington, D.C., I love what he says about the Bible. He says that the Old Testament is God's promises made, and the New Testament is God's promises kept. You're, the greatest love story ever told is not found on your Hallmark channel this Christmas season. It's found in the inspired word of God from cover to cover, 66 books of a God who created you and has sent his son to die for you because he wants to live in eternity with you. What amazing redeeming love, amen? The gospel changes everything. Jesus is the gospel embodied and he is the gospel explained. Verse 14 describes the incarnation, which is Jesus Christ, the son of God, becoming fully man. The word became flesh. It became man. He did not give up any of his deity. 
but he took on full humanity. And he did that so he could pay the price for you and me. He had to be fully God and he had to be fully man in order to be able to pay for the price of our sin on the cross. What a great God we have, amen? What a great savior we have. We love Jesus. We, ex- we exist to exalt the name of Jesus Christ above every other name. This us in this text right here, and the word became flesh and made it and dwelt among us, it's plural. Faith is an individual decision lived out in biblical community. Jesus came for 585 Old Oak Road. He came for your neighborhood. He came for your workplace. He came for your, those at your gym. He came for all of us. Praise God for that. There are many act, act, actions that are taken right now. How can we transform this neighborhood, right? How do we clean up the streets of Baltimore? How do we get it back in this neighborhood to being able to, that it's safe to live in this place or that place? There are a lot of government policies that are done and NGOs that work on different things. And those are all great. Praise God for them. But nothing and no one can provide the ultimate transformation that is needed in any neighborhood outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate answer. The gospel is our true hope. Today, we're going to look at two outcomes of the incarnation from this text. And I pray that we would choose to live them out in daily life, not just in Christmas season, but beyond. So everything we're going to talk about in this series, in this Christmas season, it's not just seasonal. It's not just meant to be seasonal. It's meant to be cultural. It's meant to be a lifestyle that goes long beyond December 25th. The first outcome of the incarnation that we're going to see, you'll see it on your notes, is this, is that because Jesus came, I can dwell personally with God. I can dwell personally with God. Like the creator of the universe, Jesus helped create the world. More on that next week. Wants to be your neighbor. Isn't that awesome? There were some Mr. Rogers jokes flying around the offices earlier this week, right? But just think about that, that while others might reject you, Jesus wants to dwell with you. Your job might fire you. Jesus wants to hang out with you. Your significant other might dump you. Jesus wants to spend an eternity with you. That's awesome, isn't it? That he loves you how you are, where you are. What's amazing is how messy and messed up we are. Not all, of, not just some of us, but all of us, no matter how nice you're looking today. God desires a personal relationship with us. Sometimes I don't want to hang out with me and I'm stuck with me, right? But Jesus chooses me and he wants to be with me. What love. When we say every, every service at least once at the end, if not multiple times throughout, you are loved, this is what it's about. To remind us all of the reality that Jesus loves us and wants to spend time with us both on earth and eternity. The heart of God is amazing, and the patience of God, well, I don't even know how to describe it, but he puts up with me. He puts up with me. This is what the author of Hebrews says about Jesus. Now, if you were watching any Jeopardy fans in the house, right? About earlier this week or last week, they actually, in my opinion, had a wrong answer on Final Jeopardy. Not that I'm smarter than them, but they claim that Paul wrote the, uh, the book of Hebrews, and we don't really know that. But here's what the author of Hebrews says about Jesus. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Whatever situation you're walking through right now, this text is teaching us the beautiful reality that Jesus is sitting sovereign over it. Praise God. Amen. What hope we have in Jesus Christ. I can't heal my family members. I can't give jobs to everyone that needs them, but I can trust that God is at work and that God knows that God is going to provide in every way. And that's hope. Flesh means that Jesus became fully man. The author of Hebrews continues in Hebrews 4, and it talks about the reality that Jesus was, is able to sympathize with all of us in our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. Jesus gets you. He knows you. He knows everything you're walking through. He can relate to you. He loves you. He knows what it's like to be hungry. The, the, read the Gospel of John. Jesus' humanity is totally described. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He gets tired. In Mark, we see Jesus take a nap. This afternoon, go, oh, honey, I'm taking a nap. Jesus did it. I want to be like Jesus, right? Naps are biblical. People have put that on a shirt. It's not a bad shirt. Jesus grieved and he wept. He lost dear friends. He wept with Mary and Martha at the loss of Lazarus before he raised them from the dead. He stopped to empathize. He gets your grief. He gets your pain. He is moved by it. On the cross, he got thirsty, he bled, he literally died, and later he had the physical body in the holes that he showed his disciples who didn't initially believe in him. Some of them, anyway. He gets you, and he wants to be with you. The word dwelt here is a beautiful word. It means to pitch a tent. Now, some of you like to go camping, and yeah, the tents are involved there, or campers if you're Thomas and don't like to, he likes to go glamping. Um, <laughs> But this word here, dwelt, pitch a tent, is a direct reference back to the Old Testament tabernacle, where the, when they were in the desert, the people of God in the wilderness, in the time of where I, I'm in the land between, where I have, I'm no longer where I was, and I haven't got to where God wants me to be yet. Anybody feel that right now, right? A little uncomfortableness. I don't even know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. Maybe I'm tired of eating the same old thing. Manna and quail, manna and quail, manna and quail. God showed up literally in a tent, in a tabernacle, and met with them, and they had a holy of holies. They experienced the direct presence of God in the middle of their wilderness, and they worshiped. Amen. Praise God. That is this word. So when John uses this word, the, the readers, and John wrote to a Gentile and an Israelite audience, their minds would immediately go back to the tabernacle, how God made a way, how he led them with a cloud, how he met them in the wilderness, how he was present in their pain, how he provided, how he parted the Red Sea, how he tore down the walls of Jericho, and how he is full of reverence and all, and it would lead to worship. What an awesome God we have. God wants to meet with us, and the result of meeting with us should be worship to God. God has not left you, even if you feel like you're in the desert today. He comes to dwell with you, to be personal with you. And the beautiful aspect of the gospel is that when Jesus, the cradle always points to the cross. And that when Jesus was on the cross, 
the curtain that was in the temple then. So it went tabernacle and temple. Worship used to be centered on a place. And when Jesus came, worship began to be centered on a person, Jesus Christ, which is what Jesus tells to the woman at the well a few chapters later in John chapter four, right? When Jesus died on the cross, the temple, of the, the temple of the curtain was torn in two, meaning that you and I now have direct access to be in the full presence of God. We don't have to go through an intermediary outside of Jesus. No longer do we need a priest because we have become the priesthood of God. Praise God for that. Amen. That we can dwell intimately, directly, and personally with God through Jesus's incarnation, which points to the crucifixion, which leads to the resurrection, ultimately the ascension, and now gives us the beautiful opportunity of having a restored relationship with God. Glory here is the manifest presence of the reality of God. Someone once said about glory and defined it in a really beautiful way as wet is to water and heat is to fire. Glory is to God. It's who God is. It's what he emanates And so the glory of God, we have seen the glory in Jesus. We have experienced the full character of God through Jesus. The incarnation leads to my justification, my redemption, my salvation, my adoption into the family of God, my sanctification, ultimately my glorification through the initial heart renovation and transformation. Anybody like to watch HGTV here? My, my, my kids do. I don't watch it. Okay, my man card's still intact. I'm joking. I, I'll hang out with them. But there's a show on HGTV called Help I Wrecked My House, right? And like, I tried to do a rental project myself, and it turned out way worse. So that I got to call on a professional to fix it, right? And isn't that the story of all of our life? Like, help, Jesus, I wrecked my life. And move into the neighborhood to do a renovation project. But the first house you need to restore is not around me or beside me. But where is it? It's inside of me. Because before Jesus can bring transformation to the neighborhood outside of me, he needs to bring transformation to my own heart inside of me. The first renovation project that we need to be praying in the neighborhood that Jesus would do is in our own house. Our own heart. To dwell perfectly with the Lord in a restored relationship. Understanding that Jesus doesn't just come to dwell and leave, but scripture teaches us that Jesus will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He will always uphold me. He will always carry me. He will always fight for me. He wants to hang out at the cookout with me. He wants to watch the game with me. He wants to be in the book club with me. He is there even after I have a blowout fight with my spouse, right? Or I have a prodigal child and I don't know what to do in terms of how I parent. He's there to forgive He's there to encourage. He's there to strengthen. He's there to go, I don't judge you. I love you. Come as you are. Confess the sin and receive the grace and the mercy and the truth that you need in your time of need. Amen. Here are five transformational truths for me because Jesus is with me. He's dwelling with me. God is a being God. He wants to be with you that you can cling. The first is this, because Jesus is with me, I can trust God's promises completely. I don't know what you're facing, but this text teaches the reality that God keeps his promises. The Old Testament said, I will send a savior. The New Testament says, Jesus says, I'm here. I don't know what promise you need to cling to, but whatever your problem is, I want you to write the problem down and then write a promise of God right next to it or right through it. 
I don't know how I will have food on my table. Write Matthew 6, 34 on it. That God knows all that you need and seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. I am anxious and I am worried. Philippians 4 or other verses that we can cast our anxiety on God, that we can bring with supplication the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Cling God's promises because he's with you. Secondly, live with truth, true hope daily. I don't know where you need hope. I just know it's here. And it's a living hope. First Peter talks about that. I love the reality that first Peter talks about the reality that we are the priesthood of all believers. But even before that, he talks about that our hope is alive. It's not dead. It's not even dormant. It's alive because Jesus is reigning. Amen. It's alive. Now, hope is not some whimsical hope. It's a deep conviction of the truth of God. It's not the absence of the reality. I, I, we had a great Thanksgiving. We went to see my parents and my, my sister. And it's, as I've sort of shared from time to time, my, my dad has, is, has a form of Parkinson's disease and his, his cortical basal syndrome and his condition is continually deteriorating. And so we spent some time crying together and grieving together around the table, but also clinging to the hope that we have together and going, things might not be what we want them to be. Things might not go as we had planned them to go, but we trust that our God is good. And to hear my dad tell stories about, we have to have five volunteers from our church drive five hours each way to drop me to Johns Hopkins at a clinical trial. And the doctors are looking at me going, who in the world does this? And he goes, people from my church do because they love Jesus. It's like, wow, God's working. And if that's what God needs to do to reach doctors at Johns Hopkins, praise God. Praise God. Because that's the mission. That doesn't mean that the grief is not real. It's very real. It's very painful. To go, I wish I could go with you to the lights tonight. I want to. I just can't because I don't think I can walk. It's real. It doesn't mean that the pain isn't present. It means that Jesus is present in the pain. And that we can cling to the hope that we have of the gospel. That this world is on our That there is healing one way or another because revelation is real. And that there will come a day where there was no more tears and no more pain and no more sickness and no more illness when we are with Jesus. Praise God. We will be healed. I don't know the timeline. Whether on earth or eternity, my dad and your loved ones will be healed if we're in the Lord. Live with true hope daily. Third, experience God's peace supernaturally. Peace is a person. It's not a, it's not a place. It's Jesus. Fourth, worship God passionately. Dwell with him. Be with him in the tabernacle. When was the last time you tabernacled and sat with Jesus as if you were in the holy of holies? Take time this Christmas season to do that. Don't be rushed. Just worship. Let your guard down. Let, just allow you to sit in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, and God, the Son, and God, the Father, and just rest Hebrews 12 talks about that we have a God, our God is a consuming fire, that we should worship him with reverence and awe. 
So we've been given a kingdom that can't be shaken. Praise God for that. Amen. They might take your job. They might take your house. They can't take the kingdom of God away from you. Praise God. So it's worship with reverence and awe because we have an awesome Savior, as, as Pastor Andrew preached last week. May we worship rest in my new identity. Need some hope this Christmas? Read all of Romans 8. Anchor in that. If God is for you, who can be against you? And we see in this text, he's for you. Well, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus Christ, who loved you, John 4, he came. No one can separate me from the love of God. Remember the back half of Romans 8, you're darn right, because look, it's dwelling amongst me. God is with me and God is love. Therefore, nothing and no one can separate me from his love. And if I don't have the strength to pray, be encouraged by the reality Romans 8 says of the Holy Spirit and groans that we can't even express is praying for you right now. And Jesus Christ is sitting on the right hand of God, interceding on your behalf. Praise God. Amen. He knows and he cares and he's with you. He's dwelling with you on this earth and eternity. He's advocating. Praise God. So may we slow down in a season this, this Christmas that asks us to speed up. The incarnation fuels community transformation, but it begins with us. So where do you need to sit and to be with the Lord, to trust in these truths? Jesus is full of grace and truth. May these truths about Jesus and how he impacts us and how he renovates our heart restore your life and bring you much peace this season. And knowing you're not alone. The second outcome of the incarnation is this, is I am commissioned to live as an ambassador for God. We see the character of God the Father and God the Son on full display right here in this text. Our God is a being God. He wants to be with you. Our God is a sending God. God the Father sent Jesus Christ, the Word, to become flesh. And our God is a going God. God Jesus Christ, God the Son, was willing to go, right? He was willing to go into our mess. He was willing to meet us where we are. And as God's people, as disciples, as those who are committed to building the church, we need to be a being, a going, and a sending people. Amen? Because to be a disciple is to be like Jesus. And so we need to display the same characteristics that we see from God's character in this text in the totality of God's word. Because not only do we see the glory of God in this text, we see the heart of God. God's desire, Scripture teaches us, is for all to come into a relationship with him. And all means all. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, Paul writes that this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people, all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, what is the truth? It's Jesus Christ because he is full of God's truth. And again, John 1, 14, the us here is Plural. God sent Jesus into the world, into your neighborhood, into mine, to manifest his gospel. And so we must be a going and ascending people so that the people around us can be a being people with God. And our going flows out of our being. To be with God, to worship God, overflows into being on mission for God. Jesus said to us and his disciples in John 20, 21, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I am sending you. So Jesus didn't just come to save us. He came to send us and to go in peace and to go in peace. Doesn't mean to just sit on our hands and wait till the second coming of the Lord comes back to go in peace 
It means to go be a peacemaker, to go be an advocate for God, to go be an ambassador for God, to go carry out the mission and the ministry that God has given us, the ministry of reconciliation. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so if you have given your heart to the Lord and, as, and trusted Jesus as your Savior, this is you. And if you haven't, I pray that you would do that today. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's a gift for you this Christmas and you've had it before, but maybe you'll start to realize it right now. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I don't know why he chose me. I don't know why he chose you. He just did. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. It's not optional if you're a disciple. It's not opt in, opt out. It's a calling and it is a commission. And if we're not living it, we're living in sin because we are being commissioned by God and commanded by God to live as ambassadors for God. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. So this Christmas, in the character of God that same sent Jesus to become flesh, he is sending us to be his ambassadors, to be his fleshly representatives to those that are around you, those that sit in the cubicles next to you at work, those who ride the bus or the train in front of you, those that you come in contact with at the grocery store, those that are in, on your team at work or are in the play with you, those that are in your neighborhood. God has sent you. He's commissioned you this Christmas. Are you willing to accept that mission? The heart of an ambassador for God is committed to loving like God and living like God because that's our why living for God's glory. And what does it mean? It means to live like Jesus did right here. Here are some characteristics of what it means to be an ambassador for God. Jesus made the first move, didn't he? Yep. Jesus invaded the mess. I'm not fun to be around sometimes, but Jesus came to me anyway. How many of us are like, ah, that's too complicated of a relationship over there. Or I don't really click with that person. Therefore, I don't have to talk to them about Jesus. I don't, can you show me a scripture and verse in here where that applies? It doesn't. Jesus went where they were. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He went to them. And we must go. God, he gave generously. He gave all that he had. He lived sacrificially. He got uncomfortable. In fact, he said, you want to be my disciple? Well, buckle up because the son of man has no place to lay his head. He doesn't have a camper or even a tent, or even a home. No 401k, no fallback plan, just God and a mission and a biblical community. God is worthy of our all and others are worth our all. So this Christmas and beyond, will you pray fervently? Will you care genuinely about other people? Because it starts in your heart. Because the message of Christmas first comes to you, but then it can't stay there. It needs to go through you. Because the change in your neighborhood that you want to see should begin in you.
and then it should flow through you. Stop waiting for somebody else to do what you know God's calling you to do. And in order to build the church, we need to first be the church. The church is a called out gathering of people who gather together to live for God and live on mission for God. The church is not a building, it's a people. And you can live as a, as a representative of Christ in your neighborhood and be the church. The Great Commission flows out of the Great Commandment. And the Great Commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what does it say? Love who? Love your neighbor as yourself. So there is a vertical component. As I love God with all that I have, I then love horizontally, love everyone else. So the vertical love fuels my horizontal love, which then sends me on a great commission to live out the great commandment. And you're like, who is my neighbor? Surely I don't have to go talk to Mrs. Smith down the street who reported me to the HOA about my shutters last year because that was just obnoxious, right? Or those people have a lot of dogs, or they voted differently than me, or they hang obnoxious uh, Ohio State signs, go Michigan, right? Last. But who's my neighbor? Well, scripture asked, there, there was a lawyer that asked that question once, and leave it to the lawyers, right? He asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells them a story. A story about a man who got beat up on a road. And a story about a priest and a Levite who walked by the religious elite. It sounds like a joke. It's not. They walked literally. They're like, here's the man. They walked on the other side of the street. I don't want to be near that guy. But how many of us, how many of us walk by people in our lives and go, I don't want to deal with them. They're too messy. They're going to cost too much. I ain't got time for that. I got to go to small group. I ain't got time to help that person. Man, shame on us. And then a Samaritan came, someone who in that society was looked down upon, frowned upon. Race, there was a racism aspect to it. And he met the man, he cared for the man, he dropped him off at a, at a place, at a, an inn, more or less, and said, here, here's some money. Put this man's healing and his, his, all his needs, his housing on my tab. He paid for it. And Jesus said, who is more the neighbor, the good neighbor, the one that walked by or the one that showed mercy? And the lawyer's like, the one that showed mercy. And he's like, yep, go and do likewise. So your neighbors are people that you come in contact with that you might not even expect to interact with. That knock on your office door when you're way too busy to have a conversation. Or knock on your front door when all you want to do is take a nap. Or you end up talking to at the doctor's office or on the train. Your neighbors are also literally the people that are living around you. So this Christmas season, God is sending us into the neighborhood, right? He sent us as his ambassadors. So we're going to challenge ourselves. And I say we are going to challenge ourselves because it's a challenge for me too. Introvert and extrovert alike, it's a challenge to live as ambassadors for God. These people are your classmates, your teammates, your coworkers, your gym buddies, your book club mates. So how do we live as an ambassador for God? I, I think there are a couple of good resources. The first, uh, you'll see a couple of books on the screen. One of them is The Art of Neighboring by Pathak and Runyon. And the other one, The Gospel Comes with the House Key. Both of these are great resources about give us ideas and, and, and how to live as a good neighbor. But we're really going to anchor in on, on The Art of Neighboring for an aspect because I want to equip you with a tool 
a tool to first know who your neighbors are. So I want you to pull out, if you're here in person, if you're not, we can get one to you. If you want to drop a comment, we'll put one in the mail to you. I want you to pull out the Art of Neighboring card. This is straight from the book. Who is my neighbor? And so here's the challenge, and this goes well beyond the Christmas season, well beyond it, okay? We're going to get really, really practical in these, this Christmas series, and we're going to push ourselves, and I mean we, because I'm in this with you, Okay? On this card, you'll see this, our, our church logo. Because again, to build the church, we got to be the church, right? So this is to remind ourselves that we are called to be the church in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. And it's also, our logo is a chevron. The whole part of that is to point it vertically, to remind ourselves that the great horizontal commission flows out of the vertical great commandment. That we are to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And out of that worshipful spirit, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves and to live on the Great Commission. So this sheet, you'll see three numbers, one, two, three, next to it. This is, to, this is a long-term challenge. Is to use it to literally begin to write the names of the houses and the people that live around you. Put it on your fridge, keep it in your Bible. There are three levels. Level one, I'll call the surface level. What is that? Literally write their names. Maybe the ages of their names and their kids. And so you can keep track of them. Number two, the hands level. Where do they work? What do they like to do? Again, the goal is the Great Commission. The goal is to love. And so you might write down, hey, Johnny lives across the street and Johnny likes the Ravens. So the next time the Ravens play, you might invite Johnny over. Want to watch the game? Or maybe you you figure out they like to crochet or they like to play a board game or they like to go fishing. You're, You're finding a common interest, right? So that you can connect that you can follow up. Oh, you work over here, so do I. Or I have a buddy that does that. You're looking for commonality so you can connect. And the third level is the heart level. This takes time. And this won't happen with everybody. But naturally, as you're intentional, maybe you'll, what can I pray for you for? Write a prayer request in. Oh, so-and-so has a cancer appointment. Oh, so-and-so's grandson is is having a job interview or whatever. And you can begin to write down these heart-level requests so that we can begin to know the heart, right? Because that's what it's after. And so you write, who's, who's across the street from me? Who's behind me? Who's beside me? And look, get creative. You can, you can use your own, you know, I know two doors down better than I know this guy. Great. Some of you guys are really strict rule followers. That's awesome. Like, but just challenge yourselves. This is a long play. And you can, I would take, you can take more than one of these because you can do the same thing in your cubicles at work. You can do the same thing in your classrooms. Who sits this place? Who sits here? Who rides my bus here? And you begin begin to pray for them. I like to keep notes on my iPhone. I'll have a conversation when they're gone. I'll put their name in. And here's a little personal piece of information about them so that I can be praying and so that I can follow up the next time I talk about them. And they're like, what? You remembered? Yeah. Wow. Because then when you do that, it demonstrates care. It demonstrates that you're, you're really authentically showing interest in them. You're building a relationship with them. So that using this grid, and again, this is a long-term challenge. I really want to challenge you guys to do this. And it's going to be a challenge for me. But when you pray, God will begin to do weird things because he's God. I had a, we've lived in our neighborhood seven and a half years. I haven't talked to this guy once. And I've seen them walk around our neighborhood multiple times. He walks with his light. We were raking our leaves yesterday. And I, we put like 20 bags out front. And I'm like, it's going to rain. Where's this all going to go? I'm going to have to redo all this. And all of a sudden, not, not, he literally came into our backyard. He was walking by with his wife. And he goes, hey, can I take your leaves? I'm like, sure. He's like, we like to use them for mulch. We live two doors down. I'm like, great. Here, my name's Dan. He told me his name and his wife's name. I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm going to write this on my thing, right? Seriously. And begin to pray and build a relationship. And I'm going to invite them to Christmas now. Like, again, connecting. 
connecting, connecting. And so using this to get to know people, and then that's going to lead us into our Christmas challenge. So I want you to pull out this card that is around you. So this is our Christmas challenge card, okay? And so thank you to Pastor Andrew and Veronica for putting this together, but we've been praying about this as a staff. We're excited about this. It's a calling it our Connect Four challenge, because I know some of y'all feel a certain way about bingo, okay? Um, But... (laughs) <laughs> All are welcome here. Um, so here's the deal. We want to be missional. And so these are, this is a challenge to do one of these activities. And when you do it, sort of circle it, start it, whatever creative way you want to do it. And to try to get four in a row. Okay? Any which way. And every time you do four in a row, you can fill out your name on the back, put your contact info here. We're going to have a basket on the back table by Christmas Eve. Drop it off, and there's going to be a drawing for a gift card for everybody that completes this in January, okay? Now, you can have multiple entries, and all you overachievers, competitive type A people out there, if you want to do all of these, I will find a special prize for you. (laughs) But my challenge is to have 50 of these cards turned back in. Can we do that? My challenge is for every single person to do this. There is no reason, none, that you can't do this outside of I just don't want to. No legitimate reason. Carol, with your small group, make a joyful noise. And look, look, get creative. Okay, we're not legalistic here. So if you're like, I carol with my family, not my small group, that counts, write it in, okay? Or I invited people over for a game night, but not dinner, that's okay too. Like, or if you did something like, I want you to use your creative juices and follow how the spirit leads, okay? And you can have multiple entries. So if you did, I did these four, and then I did these four, great. We'll put your name two, three, four, five times in there, okay? And on the back, the QR code goes to our Christmas Eve in service, so if you're out and about, you have this, and you're like, oh, I don't have an invite card on me, scan the QR code, or have them scan the QR code and invite them to Christmas, because we want this to be missional. So everything, every one of these activities should hopefully come with it. Here's an invite to our Christmas Eve service, a personal invite. We'd love for you to join us. And we have, you'll have a Christmas Eve invite card on your chair as well. Take at least four, because you're going to do at least four of these things, right? Right? Yeah. All my kids are like, okay, I'm not sure I believe you, but I'll shake my head. Okay, Yes. But with a loving, careful building of a relationship, we really believe that God is going to work in this, okay? And again, this is not just seasonal. It's cultural. That this should go well beyond Christmas. That this should become the lifestyle. This is who we are as ambassadors for Christ. So church, can we do this? Yeah, I think we can. The question is, will you? And I know I'm like, I don't like talking to people. Look, we're all not wired like Jessica Dennison who will talk to anybody, okay? (laughs) Um, But look, Extroverts and introverts alike, we're called to be ambassadors for God. Be creative. Be prayerful. Prayer is the most important part of this, and you will be surprised who God brings into your path. Be intentional. Be authentic. Care for the person, not just, oh, I got my, it's like I, I can check something off my list, but genuinely take an interest in that person. And be generous. We live as stewards, as gospel stewards, giving everything that we have to the Lord and say, God, how will you use my home? How will you use my resources? How will you use whatever? And watch God work, man. He's going to open up incredible opportunities as we are intentional. The Great Commission is to fulfill one person, one family at a time. And our calling is to make disciples from our neighborhoods to the nations. Amen? So I'm challenging you. I'm asking you to step up. I'm asking you to get out of your comfort zone because God is actually calling you to do that. God sent Jesus to get uncomfortable, to take on the lowly form of a servant. Look in Philippians chapter 2. If Jesus can humble himself, who else should humble themselves? Me. 
So let's do this. And let's share stories. Let's get excited about and chronicle about all that God is doing. And watch him work. Angie's going to have this done by the end of the day. Um, which <laughs> she's already filled it out. Um, which leads us to the last part of our challenge for this Christmas season through end of year giving. Okay, we want to reach the neighborhoods and we want to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is a 24-7 commitment that we have at Harvest to do that. And we will continue to do that. And so God has given us unique opportunities to continue to expand his kingdom by giving financially. Generosity is a huge part of Christmas, right? God gave Jesus his all. And so we're asking, we do this every year. And we have been lagging a little bit behind in our, in our monthly giving, but that's not going to stop us from being missional. That will not stop us from being missional. We are called to be missional. And so we're, asking, we're prayerfully asking our elder team, our staff team, to prayerfully give above and beyond normal tithes and normal offerings to meet these incredible opportunities that God has given us and called us to that I'm excited about. The first is local. We're, look, we're looking to raise $5,000 above and beyond our our normal giving, to have $2,500 be invested into our small groups to reach the neighborhoods, challenging each of our five small groups to work together to come up with a project in your neighborhood, whatever your community is, to serve them. Maybe it's a, it to equip you, right, with the resources to maybe there is someone who has been widowed three houses down that needs something done to their house. Man, we want to do it together as a small group, right? To love them, to get to know them, to practically serve them, to reach a school, to go into a school system, to a guidance counselor, or to principal. What are the needs this Christmas season? What are the needs in your community? How can we serve you? We are here to be a blessing, to be an ambassador of the love of Christ. Work at, serve at the pop-up. There are needs that are around all of us, right? So we want to create a pool of money to be really, really intentional about in our neighborhood. And then to the nations, we are partnering together to plan a church that has already launched about six weeks ago. Now, I don't know how many of you have spent time in a third world country, but the power supply is not great there, okay? So in our, in our church where we had guys that were praying over this in July and God planted this church in October, they're meeting, but the power comes in and it goes out all the time. So we want to, I asked them, what can we do? And they said, we would love, we were prayerfully, humbly asking that God would provide a power inverter. I'm like, I think we can do that, amen? So for $2,500, we can keep the lights on at a church plant that we're partnering with. Can we do that? I think we can, above and beyond. It's a very practical need that will expand the gospel kingdom by sharing the gospel in a lot of ways to people that desperately need it, man. God's working. So will we give back a portion of what God has given us to advance the kingdom of God? Again, this is end of year giving. It is above and beyond normal tithing. And anything above and beyond given above the 5,000 will go back to help our budget, our, our, our being behind in budget to catch us up there so we can continue to advance the kingdom of God. That's our commitment, guys. That's our mission. We are not going to pull the throttle back on that. People need the Lord and we need to go. And God will provide the resources. I'm confident of that. And he, he's going to do an amazing, amazing, amazing work. The incarnation leads to community transformation. So you will get emails about these things. You can, you can give online. If you want to give to the end of your giving, there's a certain fund in the drop-down menu online. Or you just put a check and say EOI giving. We really believe that God's going to transform communities as we live in, as we live as ambassadors who are first being with God and that are embracing 
being sent by God to live on mission, just like Jesus came on mission to us to see the communities, the neighborhoods around us be transformed. Amen. I believe that God's going to save lives this Christmas season. I believe that he's going to do in you and through you, and he's going to grow you as he stretches you. This is a stretch for all of us, not just some of us. As we humble ourselves and watch God work, we realize that it is not I, but it's Christ through me, right? It's Christ in me and then Christ through me that will lead to gospel transformation in the neighborhoods and the nations around me. Amen? So let's go. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to be in your house. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to live as your gospel ambassadors. God, you have first reconciled us back to you and now you have sent us with the ministry of reconciliation. You want to make your appeal to the neighbors next to me through me. God, that's humbling. I don't have the words, but your word says you'll give them. God, give me, give me the strength. Give me the heart to see my neighbors, my classmates, my coworkers in the same light that you do as people in need of a savior. And God, give me the endurance and perseverance. Give me the motivation, God, as a fervent, passionate worshiper to live as a faithful ambassador. Sharing and telling your grace and truth to all who are around us. Sharing the hope to those who are hurting. God, we love you so, so much. And I just pray for every neighborhood, every job place, every school represented by those listening online and in this room, that you would begin to soften hearts. That you would begin to create gospel encounters. That you would begin to prepare our hearts to respond to be inconvenienced like Jesus was, to give generously like Jesus did, to share hope faithfully like Jesus did, to embrace the mess like Jesus did, to share directly the grace of God like Jesus did, to experience the transformation of God like we did through Jesus. It's all for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.